in his classic book, Disciple, Juan Carlos Ortiz writes, When we choose to follow Jesus, it costs us everything. He has happiness, joy, peace, healing, security, eternity, everything. And so we say, I want this. How much is it? Well, Jesus says it's pretty expensive. But how much, we ask? Well, a very large amount. Well, do you think that I can have it? Of course. Everyone can have it. But didn't you say it was very expensive? Yes. Well, how much is it? Everything you have, says Jesus. We make up our minds. All right, I want it. What do you have? He wants to know. Let's write it down. Well, I have $10,000 in the bank. Good, $10,000. What else? Well, that's all. That's all I have. Nothing more, he probes. Well, I do have a few dollars in my pocket. How much? We start digging. Well, let me see. 20, 40, 60, 80, 100... 120. $120. Okay. $120. What else do you have? <clears throat> Nothing. That's all. Where do you live? He's still probing. In my house. Oh, yes, I have a house. The house too then. He writes it down. You mean I'm going to have to live in my camper? Oh, you have an RV. (laughs) That too. What else? Man, now you're going to make me sleep in my car. You have a car. Yes, Lord. Two of them. Both become mine. Both cars. What else? Well, you already have my money. My house, my camper, my cars, what more do you want? Are you alone in this world? No, I have a wife and two children. Oh yeah, your wife and your children too. What else? There's nothing left but me. Oh, Jesus exclaims, almost forgot you, yourself. Two. Everything becomes mine. Your wife, children, house, money, cars, and you too. And then he goes on. Now listen. I'm going to allow you to use these things for the time being. But don't forget, Jesus says, that they are mine. Just as you are mine. And whenever I have need of any of them, you must give them up. Because you see, I am now the owner. And Ortiz ends by saying, and that's what it cost to follow Jesus. That's the price to be paid to be a disciple. This morning our sermon series Stories That Changed the World brings us to what must certainly be one of the most difficult passages 
some of the most hard teachings that Jesus ever spoke. Here in Luke 14, verses 25 through 33, Jesus shares the parables of costly discipleship. So let's begin today's lesson by looking at the Scripture together. But before we work our way verse by verse through today's text, let's pause and ask the Lord to speak to us clearly. Would you pray with me? Master Teacher, we again sit at Your feet. We want to learn from You, Jesus. We want to hear what You have to say. We want to hide that in our hearts. And we want to live it. So open our eyes that we could see and our ears that we would hear. Our minds that we would understand and our hearts that we would plant there the seed of truth. That it would produce in us the fruit that You have in mind as we follow You. For that's our prayer. In Your name. Amen. Now I want to begin by simply reading through today's text so that we can get the big picture. So please follow along in your Bible, would you? Luke chapter 14, we pick it up with verse 25. Large crowds were traveling with Jesus, and turning to them He said, If anyone comes to Me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be My disciple. And whoever does not carry their cross and follow Me cannot be My disciple. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? For if you lay the foundation and are not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule you, saying, this person began to build and wasn't able to finish. Or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Won't he first sit down and consider whether he is able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000? If he is not able, he will send a delegation while the others are still, other is still a long way off and will ask for terms of peace. In the same way, those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciples. Now as we work our way through these nine verses, once again we can arrange our thoughts around three points. The setting why Jesus told these two parables, the stories, the two parables themselves, and then the sense, what lesson Jesus intended to teach us. So let's begin with the setting. Why did Jesus tell these two stories about building a tower and going to war? What motivated Him to share these two illustrations at this particular point in His ministry? Well, I think the answer is found in verse 25. Look at it again with me. Large crowds were traveling with Jesus and turning to them, He said. Large crowds were traveling with Jesus. Here's the reason why Jesus told these two parables. People were in a frenzy about Him. Some thought He was the political deliverer from Roman rule. Others were simply fascinated by His miracles. Still others were curious about His teachings The whole scene was turning into quite an extravaganza. People were hopping on the bandwagon left and right. In fact, historians estimate that at this time, the peak of Jesus' popularity, there were nearly 20,000 people actually traveling with Jesus everywhere He went. 
The multitudes were getting caught up in the emotion of the moment. And so Luke writes, and turning to them, he said, in other words, Jesus just stopped. He turned to face this massive crowd. I imagine he took a moment to catch everybody's eye. And he laid it on the line in the following verses. He used this, you see, as a time of weeding out to separate the serious from the not-so-serious, to mark the committed from the not-so-committed. Now, in truth, Jesus did this on several occasions throughout His ministry. One classic example would be found in John chapter 6 where after a particularly hard teaching, verse 66 says, from this time, many of His disciples turned back and no longer followed Him. Which then prompted Jesus to turn to the twelve apostles and ask them in verse 67, you do not want to leave too, do you? And Peter replied in verse 68, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. You see, as Jesus walked throughout Israel, often crowds would gather. The number of followers would increase. The multitudes would press in upon Him. Now in one way, that must have been very exciting to have so many people responding. But you see, crowds or numbers was not what Jesus was after. And so upon occasion, Jesus would stop and He would face the multitudes and talk about the real cost of following Him. The price that must be paid if you truly want to be His disciple. Charles Spurgeon, the famous English preacher of the late 1800s, had this to say about today's text. The Master was far too wise to pride Himself upon the number of His converts. He cared rather for quality than quantity. He rejoiced over one sinner that repented, but 10,000 sinners who merely professed would have given him no joy whatever. His heart longed after the real. He loathed the counterfeit. This is the setting behind these two stories. To let anyone and everyone who would follow him know what the cost would be, the price of calling him Savior and Lord, the terms of discipleship. Jesus was not about to hide the difficult and the dangerous to enlist more disciples. On the contrary, he let the crowds know right up front what was expected and required to be a Christian. There were no false illusions, no hidden agendas. Everything was straightforward. If you want to follow me, then this is the price you are going to have to pay. So that's the setting. Why Jesus told these two parables, which leads us then to the stories. Let's take a closer look at this couplet, these two stories that point really to one Same truth. Story number one has to do with building a tower. Look at them with me. Verses 28 through 30. Follow along in your Bible. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? For if you lay the foundation and are not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule you, saying, this person began to build and wasn't able to finish. Can you relate to that? I mean, we've all seen them, haven't we? A home or a building, in this case a tower in Jesus' illustration. Somebody started to build, but they never finished. When we lived in Castro Valley, 
Just around the corner from the church building, a contractor began to build some apartments. He poured the foundation. He framed it all in, even to the point of putting plywood sheathing on the walls and the roof. But then abruptly, the work just stopped. And that not even half-finished apartment building sat there for over two years. With the sun and rain weathering, it was a pretty sorry sight. And every time someone drove past the building, they would shake their head and ask, I wonder if he's ever going to finish what he started. I don't know. For some reason, he ran out of money, I guess. He didn't count the costs of what it was going to take to finish the job. But you see, that's the same picture that Jesus paints for us here in this first story. Now, story number two has to do with going to war. Look again at verses 31 and 32 with me. Follow along in your Bible. Suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Won't he first sit down and consider whether he is able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000? And if he is not able, he will send a delegation while the other is still a long way off and will ask for terms of peace. Now, obviously, we don't fight our wars in the 21st century as they did in the 1st century, but the principle here, I think, is still applicable. <coughs> Supposedly, the whole arms race is passe, but you can't convince me of that. The U.S. knows how much and what kind of weaponry every other country has. You better believe that. And we balance power by having enough weaponry of our own all so that we will be prepared at any moment to go to war and win. <laughs> I mean, nobody wants to go to battle knowing they're going to lose. And if the enemy is stronger, then we better negotiate a peace treaty with them before war even becomes a possibility. And so these are the stories. One about a building, the other about going to war. All of which leads us then to the sense. What's the point? What's the moral of the story here? What is the main truth that Jesus intended to teach us in today's parables? Well, I believe the answer to that is found in verse 26, verse 27, and verse 33. So let's take a closer look at each of them. Beginning with verse 26. Follow along in your Bible as I read it. If anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. Whoa. <laughs> Wait a minute. Is Jesus telling us we've got to hate our families? We've got to hate ourselves? If we're going to follow Him? Well, I think we come to a better understanding of Jesus' meaning here when we understand this word hate. The Greek word here is maseo, which is a word of comparison. Perhaps it's better translated in Matthew 10 and verse 37. In fact, let's read this out loud together. Would you read it with me? Anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves their son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. You get it? See, this is the point. It's a point of comparison. Our love for Jesus should be so great, so surpassing, that our love for others and for self should almost seem like hate in comparison. To be His disciple, we must love Him more. In fact, much, 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 much 
much more than anyone or anything else. Which brings us then to verse 27. Look at it with me. Whoever does not carry their cross and follow Me cannot be My disciple. Now over the years, I've heard all kinds of explanations about the cross that we must bear. I've heard people say, oh, that's just the cross that I must bear. Now quite honestly, the only explanation that really counts is the one that Jesus intended. You with me? And we can know for certain that when Jesus' immediate audience heard this phrase, carry their cross, they knew exactly what He meant. Let's make let's not make this complicated. Let's just put it in the context in which Jesus spoke it. Very simply, when Jesus spoke of a cross, there was no doubt in the minds of His immediate audience about this word picture. They had seen a cross carried many, many times. In fact, it would not be very many days after Jesus spoke these very words that He Himself would carry His own cross. In this first century culture, the picture of a cross was a picture of crucifixion. Execution. And so to carry one's cross simply and only means Death. So let's not have any illusions as to what Jesus is teaching here in this verse. If we want to be a Christ follower, if we want to be His disciple, we must crucify self. Which then brings us to verse 33. Look at it with me. Follow along in your Bible. In the same way, those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be My disciples. Now Jesus is speaking here of our rights to ownership. As I read earlier in Juan Carlos Ortiz's book, we have to give up everything we have to Jesus. Yeah, He does give it back to us. Not to own, but to manage for Him. He owns it all. And we are accountable to Him for our stewardship of what He has entrusted to our care. That is a part of following Christ, of being His disciple. By the way, did you notice the phrase that's common to all three of these verses, verse 26, verse 27, and verse 33? Cannot be my disciple. Cannot be my disciple. Cannot be my disciples. Why does Jesus repeat this same phrase in each of these verses? Because this is the sense of these parables. This is the heart of the lesson that Jesus intended to teach. Simply put, we cannot be His disciples if we aren't willing to count the cost. If we aren't willing to love Jesus more than anyone or anything else. If we aren't willing to sacrifice self For Jesus, if we aren't willing to turn over all the rights of ownership to Jesus, we cannot truly be His disciple. Bottom line is this. We cannot follow Jesus superficially or half-heartedly. We cannot have the blessings without the responsibilities. We cannot receive Him as Savior if we aren't willing to also enthrone Him as Lord. 
That principle is foundational to Christian faith. And that's the sense of what Jesus is teaching us here in this text. Well, that's a look at the Scripture. Now, what lessons can we learn from our study together? As we consider the cost of discipleship from these two parables, let me offer five simple summary observations from these nine verses about following Jesus Christ on His terms. Number one, Jesus is not asking us to do anything more than He Himself has already done. Jesus is not asking us to do anything more than what He Himself has already done. I mean, think about it. Did He count the cost? Did He pay the price? Yeah. (laughs) He loved us more than anyone else. He carried His cross. He gave His life for us. He resigned His rights to ownership for us. And He did all of this for me, for you. And now He's simply asking us to do the very same thing for Him. Paul put it this way, Philippians 2, verses 5-8. through Let's read this out loud together. Think of yourselves the way Christ Jesus thought of Himself. He had equal status with God, but when the time came, He set aside the privileges of deity and took on the status of a slave, became human. He lived a selfless, obedient life and then died a selfless, obedient death and the worst kind of death at that, a crucifixion. And who did Jesus do that for? Did it for you. Did it for me. So first, Jesus is not asking us to do anything more than what He Himself has already done. Number two, Jesus is looking first for quality, not just quantity. Jesus is looking first for quality, not just quantity. We've already pointed this out, but I think it bears repeating. Jesus is not so much interested in crowds as He is interested in commitment. He's not so much interested in decisions as He is interested in disciples. He's not interested in professing faith as He is interested in obedient faith. He's not so interested in lip service as He is interested in life service. And the truth is, if we are not willing to follow Jesus wholeheartedly, if we are not willing to pay the price, Jesus would actually prefer for us not to pretend to follow Him at all. Let that one sink in for a minute. You see, the one thing that Jesus hates the most is half-heartedness, pretension, indifference, lukewarmness. He Himself said that to the apathetic believers in Laodicea. Revelation 3, verses 15 and 16, I know your deeds that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I am about to spit you out of My mouth. Puke. Vomit. Wretch, Ralph, Hurl, Barf, whatever you choose to call it, it's not a pretty picture. Karen had the flu Friday night and Saturday. Not a pretty picture. 
And Jesus makes it very clear that lukewarm, half-hearted followers actually nauseate Him. If someone claims to be a Christian and isn't willing to pay the price, quite frankly, that person makes Jesus sick. So second, Jesus is looking first for quality, not just quantity. Number three, Jesus is requiring a denial of self, not an emphasis on self. Jesus is requiring a denial of self, not an emphasis on self. Now, I need to say that because it is in such stark contrast to anything and everything that we are being told by the world today. Our culture emphasizes self. Self-love, self-esteem, self-worth, self-image, self-help, believe in yourself, discover your true self, whatever that means. Get in touch with your inner self. Feel good about yourself. Self, 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 self. It's all about self. And what we have to realize is that that is Satan's lie. The father of lies is trying to convince us, you see, that our human nature is basically good. But Jesus tells us just the opposite. In fact, the foundation of Christian faith is based on the principle that we are, in fact, basically sinful. That's why we need a Savior. That's why Jesus told us to deny self and crucify self and die to self. Get over yourself! It's only when we come to realize that our true nature is depraved and wretched and rebellious and unrighteous that we can even hope to begin to have a relationship with Christ. And then and only then can we by God's grace find real self-worth. Not the phony self-worth that we hear so often about today, but real self-worth that comes from realizing that we are so valuable to God that even though we are a big fat zero in and of ourselves, He loved us, redeemed us, and adopted us into His own family. And He is the one who gives us value. You want self-worth, you're not going to find it looking at yourself. You're going to find it in Him. He is more than enough. Look at these Scriptures on the matter of self. Matthew 16, verses 24 and 25, Jesus says, If anyone would come after Me, they should deny themselves. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. Whoever loses their life for Me will find it. Paul put it this way, Romans 6 and verse 6, For we know that our old self was crucified with Him so that the body of sin might be done away with. Galatians 2 verse 20. Let's read this one out loud together. I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. That's the description of a disciple right there. Colossians 3, verse 5, Paul instructs us to put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. That is yourself. C.S. Lewis wrote, Christ says, give me all. I don't want so much of your time, so much of your money, so much of your work. I want you. I've not come to torment your natural self. I've come to kill it. (laughs) 
No half natures are any good. Hand over the whole natural self, all of the desires which you think innocent as well as the ones you think wicked, the whole outfit, and I will give you a new self instead. In fact, I will give you my own self. My own will shall become yours as well. So third, Jesus is requiring a denial of self, not an emphasis on self. Number four, Jesus is demanding our undivided loyalty to Himself above all else. Jesus is demanding our undivided loyalty to Himself above all else. Again, isn't that the bottom line of verses 26 and 27 and 33? I mean, in verse 26, Jesus demands our undivided loyalty to Him above our family and friends. At the end of verse 26 and in verse 27, Jesus demands our undivided loyalty to Him above our own self. And then in verse 33, Jesus demands our undivided loyalty to Him above our things, our stuff. And this is the bottom line. Jesus wants to be first. Before others, before self, before things. Songwriter worded it well when he composed the song, In all that I say, in all that I do, Throughout this world of toil and strife, by day and by night, through trust in His might, I'll put Jesus first in my life. I'll put Jesus first in my life. So forth, Jesus is demanding our undivided loyalty to Himself above all else. And number five, Jesus is expecting us to be willing to pay the price. Jesus is expecting us to be willing to pay the price. I don't really need to say a whole lot about this point of application. I mean, basically, Jesus wouldn't have asked us to count the cost and pay the price if we were not able to do so. As a matter of fact, He expects us to agree to His terms. He anticipates, He longs for us to say yes to Him. Sure, it costs a lot to be a Christ follower. It costs us everything. But you know what? It's worth the price. As Peter said, when Jesus asked, you do not want to leave too, do you? Peter said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. The cost is great, but the reward is so much greater. Enough said. So fifth, Jesus is expecting us to be willing to pay the price. Stories that change the world. This morning we've taken a closer look at Luke 14 and the parables of costly discipleship. And from this couplet we have learned five valuable lessons about following Jesus on His terms. Number one, Jesus is not asking us to do anything more than what He Himself has already done. Number two, Jesus is looking first for quality, not just quantity. He wants disciples, not decisions. Third, Jesus is requiring a denial of self, not an emphasis on self. Crucify self. Fourth, Jesus is demanding our undivided loyalty to Himself above all else. He must be first. He is either Lord of all or He's not Lord at all. And fifth, Jesus is expecting us to be willing to pay the price. And so that begs the question, what about you? Are you willing to count the cost 
today? Are you willing to pay the price? This is a hard teaching. We may have less people here next Sunday. Jesus did. But we must teach truth. The only question is, will we receive that truth? And will we apply it to our lives? Will we pay the price to follow Jesus? I hope your answer is yes! (laughs) With enthusiasm. Let's pray. Father God, thank You for some tough words. Reminds us of the reality we're not on a cruise ship, we're on a battleship. We're not floating along in inner tubes, sucking on fruity drinks, <laughs> saying, wow, isn't this cool? Uh, we're at our battle stations. There's a price to be paid. There's a cost to following You. Jesus, You reminded Your followers of that again and again. And many people turned and fled because they didn't want to pay the price. That's not going to be us, Lord. We're going to be the people who are willing to do what You've asked us to do. We are going to say, yes, Lord, yes. We're going to follow You wholeheartedly, not half-heartedly. We're going to give our all. Everything we have and everything we are is Yours. And enough with ourselves. Because it's not about us, it's all about You. Help us to be the disciples You have called us to be. It's our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.